Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 21 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, the 26th of June. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. First, I'll be talking to Gavin Ward, CEO of Office National, looking at how businesses are coming up with some ingenious ways to entice staff back to work. These include perks, creative activities, wellness equipment, elaborate desktop accessories, parties and more. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest unemployment figures. But now, let's talk to Gavin Ward. Gavin Ward, uh, the uh, employees are coming back into work. Uh, many many workers will actually want to continue working from home. <laughs> They're enjoying not having to deal with peak hour traffic and public transport and, uh, and the office politics. And a lot of them are working quite productively from home. How can companies entice them back? Well, there's a variety of ways. And I think there's a variety of reasons that people don't go back. So some may say, I don't want to do the traffic or other might do the thing. But I think you've got to look after some really fundamental things to make it work. And the first thing is, you know, we can't ignore COVID, make it safe. So one of the exercises is, am I going to be safe in the new workplace? Am I going to be able to do those sorts of things? So if you're going to start talking about people, you need to have good communication in terms of 
the way you're going to prepare the, the workplace to ensure that they don't get an infection or things. So you're going to have the right processes to say you're going to wipe down the surfaces on a daily basis, that you're going to have, you know, the wipes and all those sorts of things that are going to there. So as a fundamental thing, you've got to make it safe. The other thing is you need to think about health. And one of the problems that you get with, with a uh, someone working from home 8% of all serious claims of injury are in fact mental related because people aren't engaged. So what you've got to do is you've got to create an environment when they come back that they're going to be engaged, that you're going to be part of the team, that, that you're going to promote connection about objectives, about what you're doing and how you're succeeding. These kind of essence fundamentals are really, really important. The, the next thing you've got to do is you've got to make them comfortable. So, at home, they're sort of sitting in a comfortable environment. They know what they're doing. Um, so you need to give them the, the uh, things that they can still identify with. So some of the things that people have been doing is they say, listen, bring your dog into work. I mean, we, we, in our office, we've had dogs in this week. And they say, you know, well, I want to do that. I want to feel... This is all part of being comfortable, feeling safe, feeling like you're belonging. They can bring part of that world that they've got home into the office um, dogs, for instance, have been proven to be very successful in terms of calming people from a mental perspective, uh, making people feel at home, and it helps everyone in the office, not just the person who owns the dog. Um, some people bring pot plants, some people bring bring uh, a fish or something like that to give give them some comfort, and then make them productive. So. One of the most difficult things that you do at home is to create a really productive environment. So if you have, if you go to a workplace, a good workplace, and something like we'd Office National do when we're setting up, you know, workplaces for our own people and for and for everyone else, is we think of the whole environment. So is the light right for you to work? That's hard to necessarily replicate at home. Do you have the right, you know, tools to be able to make it work? So, you know, have you got multiple screens that are elevated to the right height so you're looking straight on so it stops you getting a quick neck and, and getting those sorts of things happening in your business? Is your, is your keyboards and things ergonomic so you feel like you're there? Have you, have you got the things around you to be creative and to make you be productive at work? So... Have you got brush pens? Have you got, you know, all of all of the bits and pieces that you can sort of use this to say, hey, I want to be creative. I want to have a bit of fun. And there might be, uh, you, you can't, it's hard to really replicate those environments. And things as fundamental as a chair that, you know, you've got, you know, a good chair costs you about $300 to $500 these days. One that, that gives you good back support, that you can move the seat in and out, that you can regulate the position of the arms, the height, all those things. Um, you can replicate that, but that's really hard to do in a home environment that you're kind of copying everybody doing those things. So if you do these things and you get the right equipment and you get them in the home, and you, you get it, when they come back, they'll find that they're much more connected, that they're much more productive, and that they can create, you know, really, really solid, great work. And if the if the management is working right and they're engaging their teams, they will find themselves being feeling like they're part of the team again, wanting to be part of it. But they've still got those comfort factors around them 
of what they're trying to do. And they've got the good hygiene and all the other things that they had at home so they feel comfortable and safe. Well, while we're talking about health, what about uh, stuff like uh, fitness and wellness equipment? Absolutely. And look, interestingly, we've got some great products. Um, I haven't got one in here, here today that I could show you, but we, we have, for instance, uh, a thing called uh, uh, the, the Silex Spin Disc, which is like a, it's like an exocycle. And what, what we've done is we've had those and you put them in, the, in offices and people can actually sit on it and, and pedal like a, like a normal exocycle, but it's got a desk with a place that you can put your, your computer and you can type on your computer and you can work and you can listen and do Zoom calls and all those sorts of things while creating activity. We've got other ones called like the ball chair, which promote really, really good posture. Uh, and we've got a variety, another lotus stick chair that, that you, you basically lean against than you do it. Um, creating great things like stand-up desks. Again, the stand-up desks are hard, they're very expensive to be able to replicate in a home environment, but in a workplace, you can do that so that people feel better and they've got the right things around them to be productive. Uh, and I, I guess uh, stuff like milestones, so, you know, like, uh, you know, people's birthdays, or world days. I mean, there's lots of things to celebrate. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and I think, you, you know, as a, as a leader in your team, you need to celebrate successes. You need to celebrate great, you know, good occasions and you need to celebrate times. You know, people that have been with you for five years or 10 years or whatever, people that have achieved promotions or success where the company and the teams have had success in, a, in, in achieving a goal for the company in terms of performance or sales or whatever it might be. And of course, birthdays and those sorts of things are great things. So when you celebrate and you do these things together, everybody's reinforcing themselves and they're having a great time in the process. Uh, are you finding it difficult enticing people back? I've, we've got people who, the day that we said, look, it, we think it's safer now for everybody to come back, somewhere on the, on the bike the next day, you know, shooting in here and saying, you know, I want to be a part of a family. I want to, I want to understand the environment. I want to be able to talk to people around. I mean, I'm a, Personally, I'm a people person and I like to talk to people and I like to be involved. Other people um, are, are different in their style and, you know, everybody's got a different style. So some people were quite happy being isolated at home and continue to work from home. And even today, we have some people who are spending a couple of days in the office, uh, some, days, some days at home. But what we try to do is we try to create the right, as, as much as we can, the right environment there but also welcome them in. And, and I think when you've got those collaborative exercises, there are times where you need to be able to get people in so that you get that free flow of, of talk amongst it. You, you can do it online. Zoom is a, is, a, is a fantastic tool. It's much more structured. And I think sometimes for some meetings, it's better than, than having a physical meeting because it's more controlled and more structured. But, but if you're really trying to be creative, if you're trying to sense what people are thinking to get a feel of it, Nothing beats having people in a room and, and really getting a part of the discussion. My feeling is uh, we're going to get to it. We'll, we'll be, end up in a situation where you'll have some people who've tried working from home and have found it quite good. We'll end up saying, look, I'll come in three days a week, but yep. two days a week or one day a week, I'll work from home. Yep. And I think companies are going to have to start getting used to that and accommodating that. What's your view about that? Well, look, I think the world's changed forever. And I think we've always had to consider 
the different types of styles of people that we work with. So some people are auditory type people, some people are, uh, are driven on, on reading books and doing those sorts of things. These are all different communication styles, they're all different, you know, the, they react differently to the way I think. So you, we've always had to consider that. But, but now in the current environment, like I look at some of the, the large offices that are set up in the city and the, and the trend was for agile workplaces with hot desks. So you might have a building with a very large organisation, a PwC, a bank, or whatever, that might have had 500 people in that organisation, an IBM. And what they've done is they've said, okay, well, we're going to actually have 400 desks for the 500 people. And what you're going to do is you're going to be agile. So some of you are going to be away on holiday. Some are going to be somewhere else or you'll be at a different space and you'll be sharing this desk. So what you do is you come in, you pick up your box, you put it down on your desk, you, you, know, you work from that workspace and then you go away. Now, these are small workspaces. And then what they do is they use meeting rooms if they need to meet with people. I think that's going to be really, really hard in a post-COVID environment. So the concept of working at a desk, getting up and moving your stuff back, and then someone else coming down, sitting in that same space, and ensuring that that's clean, and, and ensuring that you've got the distance that you should socially, socially isolate with the person next to you, is going to be extremely challenging. So... I'm hearing in those agile workspaces about people going, they're doing this desk and then the desk in between is now blocked off and the one after that is on. And so they're going to be really uh, a lot of concern. So part of what we're doing is we need to entice people back for the times that we need it. But I think we're always going to need to be agile and have some people working from home because I think they just won't fit in the new workplace. Uh, so I think a mixed scenario where you try and empower your people who are working at home to get maximum productivity. And there's, there's a whole liability issue here, Leon, about setting up the workplace at home too, because I think some employers aren't aware that when they send their employee home, that is now a workplace. Uh, it's subject to workers' compensation. And if someone's not set up correctly and they're tripping over cables or spilling stuff on electrical things and, and, and an injury occurs then there's a huge liability uh, piece there. Um, I think both are different challenges, but I, I think one is creating, for those people who want to come back or that you want to encourage to come back, I think creating the right workplace to do that. And then separately, for those who, who are going to have to continue to work from home, being able to work in, to create an environment for them which is safe and productive. And again, things like lighting, you know, all of the safety cables, all of the, you know, making sure that you can get screens and those things. You've got to try and replicate that as much as you can at home. Not always possible, but you've got to try and do that. Well, Gavin, those are wise words, and uh, uh, I'm sure everyone will be taking those into account. All and right. thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Liam. And now let's talk to Indeed Economist, Callum Pickering. Okay. Well, Callum, uh, the unemployment rate has jumped up from... Uh, 5.2% to 7.1%, and uh, but that's not telling the whole story. Uh, what's your view about it? Yeah, so the unemployment rate's obviously increased by quite a bit, but it's really not doing a good job of explaining the, the amount of damage that's been caused by COVID-19 um, thus far, just within the last couple of months. Um, and just to highlight that, um, employment's declined by 835,000 in just the last two months. But unemployment has only increased by 211,000. So only about a quarter of the people who have lost their jobs have transferred into being considered unemployed. 
the remainder have and are considered to have left the labor force. And the reason for that is because these people are not actively searching. To be considered unemployed in Australia, you need to be actively searching for work. And because there's no jobs available, people aren't searching for work, and so they're not being considered unemployed. If you make an adjustment for, for this, the, the unemployment rate actually jumps to around 11.3%, which is a big difference from the 7.1% rate that's currently being reported. So moving from a 5.2% rate to 11.3% rate in just a couple of months is, is really quite extraordinary and highlights just how much damage has been done to the Australian economy within such a, a short period of time. Well, the other issue too is you've got uh, hundreds of thousands of people on JobKeeper, and that would put the number up even more, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, if you try to incorporate that into the rate of unemployment, you're looking at something close to about 20%. So, so right now, everyone who's on JobKeeper is considered employed, even if they don't work a single hour. And the reason for that is because if you receive an income or a payment from a, a business, then you are considered employed, regardless of you know how many hours you work. So JobKeeper doing a, a great job of reducing the number of people who are officially considered to be unemployed. Um, but I think that the big challenge is going to be when uh, JobKeeper uh, winds down in, in September and what happens to the level of unemployment when that occurs. Well, the government is certainly talking about winding it back, putting people on JobKeeper onto JobSeeker payments. Yeah, and I I think that's that's a, a key concern for the Australian economy right now. I think if the federal government tries to do it on a specific date, just policy completely, I think there is that risk of a, a secondary recession. There will be a lot of businesses that will be poorly placed to keep staff on uh, if they have the rug pulled out from under them. I think that from a policy perspective, from an economic perspective, the, the best path forward would be to taper JobKeeper over maybe a period of, of six months, winding back the support a little bit month after month as, as a way to, I guess, spread the impact of its removal of, on the economy over a longer period of time. It, it's obviously going to be very interesting to see. I, I do generally think if they, they pull it and remove it completely in September, um, then it really could be a bit of an own goal from a policy perspective that, that you know puts the Australian economy in a, in a bad situation. So uh, if we have a secondary recession, there'd be more job losses and bankruptcies as a result of that? Well, obviously that would be the concern and it would require uh, further fiscal stimulus. So I think that the federal government would be best placed by trying to taper the policy, keeping the support available to some degree throughout the remainder of 2020 and even maybe throughout early uh, 2021 as a way to avoid that um, secondary and, and certainly unnecessary recession that could occur. What about, how did it work in terms of hours work? I mean, that fell quite dramatically. I thought about 10.2%, isn't it? Yeah, so while JobKeeper can hide the uh, number of people who are unemployed, they can't, it can't hide um, the change in hours worked. Hours worked have declined by around 10% over the past two months, um, compared with about a 6.4% uh, decline in overall employment. So workers are on average working fewer hours and certainly you know the hours that people are working is lower than it's been at any point in history from an economic standpoint. Uh, the, the impact has been far greater for part-time workers. Part-time hours worked are down by around 20% compared with about 8.3% for full-time workers. So the burden of COVID-19 is falling disproportionately on the shoulders of um, the part-time and casual workforce. And that actually goes to uh, where the job losses are concentrated. I mean, they seem to be very highly concentrated in areas where there are part-time workers, like accommodation and food services. 
and arts and recreation. Yeah, those two industries have been by far the hardest hit by COVID-19. So um, business payrolls in accommodation and food services are down about 29% since uh, the 14th of March, and they're down a little over a quarter for, for arts and recreation. Now, these two sectors have um, certain characteristics in common. One, they do tend to have a high level of casual or part-time workers employed in these sectors. And so the impact of COVID-19 has fallen disproportionately on younger people, uh, part-time workers and, and women overall. And what are the figures for them in terms of unemployment? Are, are, does the figures break it down for youth and um, women? Uh, so in, in terms of the, the payrolls data, the, the decline in payrolls for women is about 8% versus about 6.3% for, for men. The overall decline in payrolls being 7.5%. Um, but for women under the age of 20, one in five have lost their jobs since March 14th, compared with one in eight for men. And for women aged 20 to 29, one in eight women have lost their jobs, compared with one in nine for men. Um, so the impact overall has been large for both men and women, but it's been a little bit larger for women overall. Well, I mean, uh, people, the restrictions are lifting and the there are signs that the Australian economy is gradually improving and people are looking out for green shoots wherever they may be, but it seems to me it might take a bit more time to show up in the labour market data because there are more issues with timing and classification and so the path to recovery won't be straightforward. Uh, what's your view about that? Well, well, certainly in terms of what's happening in the real economy, there will be that recovery as the economy opens up and restrictions are lifted, and we're beginning to, to see some of that already. But the labour market statistics are a little bit of a, a mess right now due to some of those timing and classification issues. Now, a lot of the people who are officially left the labour force will suddenly appear back in the labour force either via getting their jobs back or when they start searching for jobs. And so it's, it's quite possible that even as the economy emerges from lockdown, the official rate of unemployment may continue to increase. So it's all very uh, confusing at the moment. And so it, it's really important to sort of look a little bit deeper into the labour market statistics to, to really understand precisely what's going on. Well, the speed of recovery will depend very much on whether we can avoid a damaging second wave of cases. And, of course, it will also depend on the global recovery and, of course, the level of fiscal support. And uh, that's all up in the air, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts and uncertainty associated with the recovery from COVID-19. Um, can Australia avoid a damaging second wave? Well, you know, we're, we're pretty optimistic about that and where we're positioned right now, although we are seeing a lot of cases in Victoria. Could that lead to a further outbreak? You know, we're, we're not sure about that, but that would obviously be a concern. The, the global outlook is particularly uncertain, particularly when you consider countries such as the United States and the United Kingdom, which are obviously very important economies um, worldwide. I mean, the United States is, is pretty poorly positioned right now for a, for a recovery, and that could certainly slow down the overall global um, recovery. And there's a great deal of policy uncertainty. I mean, we've spoken about JobKeeper earlier, um, but that's going to be a key source of uncertainty for the Australian economy going forward and, and what the federal government does and when they choose to do it will go a long way to determining how uh, strong the Australian economy is over the remainder of 2020 and into next year. Right, OK. And, of course, uh, you've also got a COVID-19 outbreak again in China. And that's going to affect, attack their fledgling economy or any fledgling recovery there. Yeah, so that's a story that's um, you know recently emerged and is obviously a, a big concern for Australia because China is our largest trading partner. Um, we do rely on China considerably for our economic well-being. And obviously for Australia, we would be highly concerned about further outbreaks in China and what that could mean for Australian exports and imports going forward. Overall... 
you would say that if there is a recovery, it's going to be very, very patchy and we can't expect a quick snapback. Yeah, COVID-19 is going to leave a, a long and lingering shadow on the Australian economy. I think it is unrealistic to expect the economy to snap back to where it was pre-crisis in the short term. It will take a number of years for the economy to get back to that point where the unemployment rate is down in the low fives. Um, and that's certainly what we've seen in previous recessions. The recovery from our recession in the early 80s and the early 90s took more than five years. And while the COVID-19 crisis is certainly very different, I do expect that the recovery will take it a number of years before we get back to where we want to be. Well, Callum, those are sobering words, and uh, thank you very much for your time. And thank you, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, former Dow Chemical Executive Chairman Andrew Liveris says the optimism that has sent global share markets soaring should be ignored, and he warns that the COVID crisis will not bottom out until 2023, and a recovery is unlikely before 2024-25. And Mr Liveris, who was a special advisor to Prime Minister Scott Morrison's National COVID-19 Coordination Commission, says governments will need to step in during the recovery phase and invest in social infrastructure to help solve the problems of inequality that have been exacerbated by the pandemic. Mr Liveris has based himself in Sydney in recent months and says Australia's federal and state governments have done a good job of managing the health crisis and the latest increase in cases in Victoria, while worrying, should be manageable. But it's a different story in the US, where rising infection rates provide a reminder that the risk of the virus spreading around the world remains great. That will take time, which is why Mr Liveris cannot see a low point in this crisis until 2023 and a recovery until 2024-25. Wall Street has soared 40% since hitting the bottom in March and the ASX has risen about 30%. Mr Liveris says this is a repeat of the rally seen after the global financial crisis, when central banks and governments pumped stimulus into world economies. The stimulus measures taken this time have been important in getting economies reopened, but he fears the elevated debt levels could cause a fresh crisis down the track. Mr Liveris, who has advised both the Trump and Obama administration on manufacturing policy, also says governments will need to do more to help to solve the problems of inequality that have been so dramatically highlighted by the Black Lives Matters protests that have swept the globe. Although the idea of big government has been much criticised in recent decades, he sees an opportunity for governments to follow the model of former US President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal program in the 1930s, which used massive infrastructure spending to help get the country through the Great Depression. But Mr Liveris believes governments should focus on social infrastructure this time around and specifically push to improve access to healthcare and education. And the global economy's fragile recovery is facing a fresh hurdle as a surge in coronavirus cases threatens to keep businesses closed and consumers on edge. Cases of a deadly virus rose by a record for a single day on June the 21st, according to the World Health Organization, with flare-ups across the US and new scares in Germany and Australia. While China said the latest outbreak in Beijing is under control, other large emerging economies, including Brazil, India and Indonesia, continue to see cases soar. The concern comes as high-frequency data, tracked by Bloomberg Economics, had been showing an improving picture for sectors such as transport and dining out as lockdown restrictions are eased. A sustained pickup in virus cases threatens to undermine or even reverse those trends. While the easing of lockdown restrictions in parts of Europe and the US had led some economists to envisage a V-shaped recovery for the world, the re-acceleration of the virus argues against any swift revival. And the reintroduction of coronavirus restrictions in Victoria will have a major hit to confidence, says IBIS World Senior Industry Analyst Nathan Cloutman. 
The real damage of retightening restrictions doesn't just come from loss of business in the economy. It also comes from erosion of business confidence and consumer sentiment, Mr Cloutman said. Businesses are now less likely to restock supplies and rehire employees when social distancing is removed out of fear that restrictions will be reimposed before they can generate revenue to cover those costs. Ibisworld also expects restaurants and cafes and coffee shops to decline by 25.1% and 22.8% respectively in 2019-20. And Ibisworld expects more than 7,000 tourism businesses, or 6% of the industry, to collapse as a result of COVID-19. It also expects it will not be until 2024-25 that the roughly 7,200 businesses it does not think will survive the health crisis will be replaced. Ibisworld expects 2019-20 revenue will be about $128 billion, down from $143 billion a year before. Commonwealth Bank modelling says a lack of international travellers alone will cost Australia 0.7% of GDP. A report by the United Nations World Travel Organisation shows it took an average of 14 months for tourist arrivals to return to pre-crisis levels after the global financial crisis, September 11 attacks and SARS outbreak. Many tourism operators are relying on the reopening of state borders soon to survive. And the $70 billion JobKeeper wage subsidy could be extended for regional areas badly hit by the coronavirus pandemic under a revamp of the scheme. As warnings grow, there will be long-term hit to Australians' wages and jobs. Prime Minister Scott Morrison signalled particular zones, many dependent on tourism, were likely to get support for their economies beyond the late September cut-off for the JobKeeper program. JobKeeper and the $550 a fortnight coronavirus supplement for JobSeeker recipients are both legislated to end in September, prompting fears of a fiscal cliff hitting the economy that will drive up unemployment and force many businesses to the wall. Treasury is reviewing the JobKeeper program, with Treasurer Josh Frydenberg due to outline the results of that review, plus new forecasts for the economy on July the 23rd. And with more than $15 billion drained from super accounts in the space of a few short months, the powers that be are beginning to suspect there might be an issue with the scheme. The Australian Taxation Office has revealed it will investigate Australians who dipped into their nest egg despite not being eligible. Culprits will have the amount withdrawn added to their taxable income, likely claiming back around a third of the withdrawn amount for the government-empty-looking coffers. In instances where applicants will be seen to have deliberately duped the ATO, fines of up to $12,000 may be issued, leaving them worse off than when they began. We've seen COVID-19 early release of super examples where people are doing the wrong thing, the ATO said in a statement. Investigations have revealed how criminals had engaged in identity fraud to trick the ATO and super funds and steal retirement savings. It raised serious questions of how the scheme was being run, not least because it revealed that Australians, who did not even satisfy the government's own eligibility requirements, were being allowed to take out $10,000 per person. To be permitted to do so, a person must be deemed to be in need of the money. Specifically, they must be unemployed, have recently lost a job, be receiving government support payments, have lost 20% or more of their hours, or have lost 20% or more of their turnover as a toll trader. And Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe said the economic shadow of the pandemic could last for years. Speaking at an ANU Crawford School event, Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe has warned post-pandemic Australians will be more risk-averse and less willing to spend, borrow and invest. And unless we change something, we're going to be in a world of lower economic growth. He said record low interest rates will remain in place for years and the pace Australia removed itself from the shadow could be driven by a period of accelerated technology adoption as more people work from home and embrace new work practices. The other area was policy reform in areas like tax and industrial relations. 
Dr Lowe said he's worried about a lack of dynamism in the Australian economy. He called for governments and businesses to overhaul tax incentives, research and development and risk-taking to boost dynamism. He also cited the low level of business starts and less job churning as evidence of a less dynamic economy. And three of former High Court Judge Dyson Hayden's associates will seek compensation over his alleged sexual harassment and a threatening legal action if he does not come to the table. Morris Blackburn Principal Josh Bernstein, representing three of the six former associates, said the High Court had indicated it was willing to entertain negotiations about settlement and his clients had instructed him to engage Mr Hayden in the discussions as well. And businesses will be required to comply with minimum standards of cybersecurity under a federal government plan to harden the nation's defences of vulnerable computer networks against foreign adversaries in cybercriminals. Firms will also need to ramp up their spending on cybersecurity, including potentially contributing to the cost of the national agencies as part of an updated cybersecurity strategy. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has confirmed the strategy will also see Canberra lift its spending following revelations a sophisticated state-based actor had attempted to hack into Australian networks on an industrial scale. China is being blamed for unleashing the attacks, which began about 18 months ago when Australia rejected Huawei's participation in the rollout of the 5G network. The attacks have escalated in recent months after the Morrison government angered Beijing over its advocacy of an inquiry into the origin of the coronavirus pandemic. The attacks have targeted all levels of government, plus the private sector, most notably firms in the financial services, defence and healthcare industries, but there's been no major data breach identified. The updated cybersecurity strategy was due to be released in the run-up to the postponed May federal budget, but was delayed because of the pandemic. The strategy is expected to require firms to comply with a minimum level of cybersecurity set by the federal government, with those in critical infrastructure fields such as banks, healthcare and utilities expected to be the top priority. The government would be responsible for setting an industry-by-industry industry standard to apply to all firms in that sector. The standard would be applied either through a code of conduct with potentially a regulator to ensure compliance. And the Australian Securities Commission has acted on a referral from the Hain Royal Commission and filed a civil suit against Commonwealth Bank for making prohibited payments banned under the Corporations Act. During the hearings, which took place almost two years ago, the bank's superannuation investments arm was exposed for paying CBA branches to sell its products in exchange for 30% of the revenue. CBA told Commissioner Hain in a written submission that it was not reasonable to expect the regroomment would influence an employer's recommendation of the product given they were not directly rewarded. Commissioner Hain referred the case to ASIC, flagging potential breaches related to prohibited payments under sections 963E and 963K of the Corporations Act, saying he did not accept CBA's explanation. And older workers are less likely to have benefited from the shift to remote work, and men are looking forward to returning to the office more than women. New research reveals businesses that emerge stronger from the COVID-19 crisis will build their status as an employer of choice to attract, retain and grow their talent. A new report from Boston Consulting Group also found younger employers are more ready to return to the office with two-thirds of 18 to 30-year-olds feeling enthusiastic about going back. Meanwhile, people with children at home reported being significantly more productive, engaged and successful at home, but they also reported fewer positive impacts of remote working, according to the survey of more than a 1,000 people. The research found men are more enthusiastic about returning to the office than their female colleagues, having most missed the distraction-free work environment and in-person formal collaboration with their co-workers. Low-income earners, $40,000 and under, were the most likely to experience no positive impact during this time, tending to work in hard-hit industries such as arts and hospitality. And Deloitte is the latest member of Australia's biggest four consulting firms to announce significant job cuts with 7% of its workforce to be acts. At least 700 jobs will go overall. 
The move comes as partners of the firm were informed that growth had collapsed during the last quarter of the financial year owing to the coronavirus pandemic. The pandemic has surged demand for the big four services and has led to staffing cuts at PwC, which has cut 400 staff positions, and Ernst & Young, which has asked partners and staff not fuel or utilise on chargeable client work to drop their hours and pay by at least 20%, and warn redundancies may be in store. KPMG said staff will lose 5.6% of their pay in its annualised salary cut. And Australia's largest supermarket chain, Woolworths, will make as many as 1,350 workers redundant as it moves to automate its distribution centres. The Automated Regional Distribution Centre and Semi-Automated National Distribution Centre are expected to open by 2023. The two facilities will replace the three existing facilities in Minchinbury and Eunora in New South Wales and Mulgrave in Melbourne. The Minchinbury facility currently employs 515 people, while Mulgrave employs 298 and Eunora employs 540 people. In a statement to the ASX, Woolworths said the decision to develop the facilities will regrettably impact the number of roles. The company expects redundancy payments to total $176 million, with redundancies to occur up to 2025. And Meyer has cut another 90 roles in its Melbourne head office in a desperate attempt to slash costs as the coronavirus crisis decimates sales. Meyer confirmed the latest round of redundancies on Tuesday, saying the job losses represented less than 1% of total staff and included roles in management and store management, business support, administration and duplicate roles. Another 45 people were redeployed to new or redefined roles. The latest redundancies follow the loss of 35 executive roles in January this year, 50 jobs mainly in marketing and merchandising roles, and store administration in March last year, and 30 executive and senior management roles in August 2018. My chief executive, John King, has removed an entire layer of management to reduce costs and simplify the business in an attempt to restore to profit growth amid declining sales. Now, Meyer did not name executives leaving in the latest round of job cuts, but they're believed to include Sue Price, Group General Manager Women's Wear, and Joanne Mercer, the General Manager of Footwear and Accessories. Meyer, which closed all its stores for about four weeks in April, has not provided a sales update since its first half results in March. Total sales for the six months ending January fell 3.8% to $1.61 billion due mainly to store closes, and lower sales in women's wear and like-for-like -like store sales fell 3.6%. On the other hand, Harvey Norman has advised the market it's expecting a pre-tax profit lift of around 20% for fiscal 2020, following a surge in home and tech purchases amidst coronavirus lockdown measures. The Furniture and Technology Retail Group is slated to release full-year results on August 28. The news was disclosed in an ASX announcement and follows a sales uptick in Whitewoods and Kitchen Appliance sales by homebound consumers. And Nestle will change the name of two popular Australian confectionery products, Redskins and Chico Sweets, the food and beverage giant said on Tuesday, amid a global debate over racial inequality. The move is part of the corporate world's reckoning with the treatment of African Americans following anti-racism protests triggered by the death of George Floyd in police custody in Minneapolis late last month. Redskin is a slang term widely deemed offensive that refers to Native Americans. Chico which translates to boy in Spanish, can be offensive to those of Latin American descent. Last week, PepsiCo said it would change the name and brand image of its Aunt Jemima pancake mix and syrup, which have been criticised as racist. Following PepsiCo's move, the makers of Uncle Ben's Rice, owned by Mars, Mrs Butterworth's Syrup, owned by ConAgra Brands, and Cream of Wheat Porridge, owned by B&G Foods, also said they would review their packaging. And that's it for this week. 
And next week, I'll be talking to Aramex Australia CEO Peter Lipinski to discuss the increased demand on Australia's transport and delivery sector as online shopping orders boom with more people self-isolating and working from home and how the Australian delivery sector is adapting to these unprecedented times. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about how the market is travelling. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBLZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.